for some of you here, um, the most important question that you will ask and maybe answer uh, during your time at university is this question, who am I? Sure, you're here to go to classes, um, to get a degree, eventually right, get a job. But for many of you, all of these things, right, going to class, getting a degree, getting a job, they're all sort of part and parcel of this much greater quest to discover yourself, to find yourself, um, to know yourself. That phrase, know thyself, was a, an, uh, something that the ancient Greeks inscribed on one of their temples, uh, a temple of Apollo at Delphi. But as we think of this question, like know thyself or that statement, where, where would we begin? And how does one begin to know thyself? Psychologists will tell you that your identity is composed of two things. It's a sense of self, which you could say this is who I am, and a sense of self-worth. And this is why I'm valuable or this is why I matter. Everyone in this room, all right, all of us here, we all find ourselves enmeshed in an intricate, an intricate web of relationships, don't we? Um, but what is true of you in each and every single social situation? What about you does not change from place to place? There needs to be a core understanding of who you are uh, that is true from day to day and relationship to relationship and situation uh, to situation. In this sense, your identity is not the many different masks that you wear, like, oh, I'm a brother, or I'm a son, or I'm a daughter, or I'm a friend. So matches, who is the person behind each and every one of those masks? I mean, that's what I'm getting at, right? What is your sense of self? Who is the I, and I think, therefore, I am? Besides this sense of self, uh, our identity uh, also includes a sense of worth. What about, you, what about you makes your life feel worthwhile, good, significant? Your sense of self and your sense of worth compose your identity. If that's what identity is, to whom or to what do you turn to find it? I suggest that there are three places that you can look. You can look out. You can look in, or you can, like, you can look up, or uh, you can look on. All right? those looking up and looking on, I'm equating those things. So looking out, looking in, and looking up or on. These are the three directions that you can turn to find uh, your sense of self and self-worth, your, your identity. First, let's think about this idea of looking out, looking for our identity uh, on the outside. Uh, in many ancient cultures and, and many non-Western cultures, uh, you don't really get to choose your identity. Your identity is really something that is given to you uh, at birth. What family do you belong to? Where do you come from? What tribe are you from? Who are your people? Right? Your identity is, is, is intricately linked to both people and place. Right. You are a Michaelopoulos, or a Colbert, right? a Mendez, a Minan. You are from Naperville, or uh, Bethesda, right? from Washington, D.C. 
uh, who you are is connected. It is tied to both family uh, and community. And self-discovery happens not by looking in, but by looking out and, and looking out for other people. As you fulfill your duties and responsibilities to your family and to, com- to your community, you discover and in some ways you become who you really are. So just, as you fulfill your duties and your responsibilities to your family and community, you discover and in some sense you become who you are. This is looking out. We see this sort of way of identity formation very clearly in the classic Disney movie, The Lion King. Uh, I don't know when the last time uh, you saw The Lion King. I'm hoping that you've seen it. I know it's in the vault right now, but uh, it'll come out again. Um, But this movie, The Lion King, it is ultimately about one lion's quest to discover his true identity. Yeah, there's like wildebeest stampedes and a meerkat and a you know warthog named Pumbaa and Timon, but all of those things are just sort of extras to this much like central theme of who is Simba, who is the Lion King. That's the question. Watching the movie, you you realize he is Mufasa's son. That's who he is. He's Mufasa's son. He's royalty. He's part of this particular family and this tribe, this pride. And being Mufasa's son carries certain privileges as well as responsibilities. He is the Lion King after all. At that point, the Lion Prince. And he will discover his true sense of self and his true sense of self-worth. Not as he runs away from his responsibilities, but rather as he learns them and leans into them. That really is the theme of this movie. Halfway through the film, I really hope I'm not blowing this for you. Like, spoiler alert. alert, Simba has an identity crisis. Mufasa is killed, right? His uncle evil Scar, right, ascends to the throne. And he convinces Simba that this is all of his fault. Mufasa died because of you. And consequently, he needs to leave home. He just needs to run far, far away. And interestingly enough, all those things that Simba based his identity on, right, his home, his family, his tribe, all of that has been taken from him. So he's left wondering, who am I? Who am I when I don't live at home anymore? My, that sense of uh, connection to my family is gone. He doesn't know. And maybe you feel the same way. Like, I don't li- I'm, I'm in a new place. I'm, I'm far away from my home. Who am I? What does it mean to be me it's at this point that Simba meets Pumbaa and Timon. And you remember their philosophy of life. Hakuna Matata. Julia knows it, right? It means no worries for the rest of your days, right? No rules, no responsibilities. Recreate yourself, this time with no sense of duty, right? Hakuna Matata. And Simba is living this way for a long time until one day he runs into his childhood friend Nala. And she can't believe he's still alive. And she tells him, you've got to come back. You're the king. He says to her, Hakuna Matata, what's in the past is in the past. This is who I am now. And she protests. What about your responsibility? Simba, doesn't the pride mean anything to you? Doesn't your mother mean anything to you? They argue. And then they go their separate ways. 
and it sets up this scene that I want to show you. Simba, right? The Lion King, again, right? He's Mufasa's boy, right? That's his identity. And as he, like, learns that and leans into that, he becomes his true self. This is identity formation by looking out, okay? It's the traditional sort of mode uh, of identity formation. Who you are is, in large part, your relationships. Your identity is intimately connected to both people and place, you know, you discover yourself in community by looking out and looking out for others. Now, in this way, in this way of like basing your identity on looking out, there's some advantages to it. It's something that is fixed. It's something uh, that is stable. But it also feels, and it can be, uh, very restrictive. It's great for Simba. He's born, right, a prince. He's born a king. But what about people who aren't born into a great family or are not born into a great place, Right? There is privilege and there is disadvantage when we base identity on this way. Isn't, isn't that true? It can be very restrictive. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller in New York City, he tells the story about his grandfather who was born in a uh, small town in Italy around 1880. His father was a potter and his grandfather and his great-grandfather were potters. And in his grandpa's teenage years, he said to his great-grandpa, I don't want to do pottery. I want to do something else. And his father said to him, there are only three things that you can do. You can be a priest, you can be a soldier, or you can be a potter. And Tim's grandpa's like, well, why? I don't want to be any of those things. And he said, I'll just go to the next town and, and I'll do what I want to do over there. And they said, it won't work. He's like, well, why not? He's like, because they'll know that you're a Keller and they'll, they'll know you're from this town. They'll say, what are you doing here? You're a potter, go back to your place. His identity was really locked in with a last name and locked in with a locale, right? You are Keller, you are from this place. So, you know, he did what so many people did, right? Y'all, can you guess? What did he do? He immigrated. Yeah, he moved to America where none of those things really mattered. It was a completely fresh start. Nobody cared about names or places, right? Looking out and basing your identity on family or place of origin, it is one way of discovering yourself. It's one way of finding your 
uh, identity. It's one way of uh, identifying in some ways your sense of worth. But it is an old way, and certainly in America where everyone moves around a lot, we don't really feel connected to our places anymore, uh, we are very mobile, uh, those things are, matter less and less. And in that regard, it's an old way and it's in a dying way. The Lion King way is out, uh, the frozen way is in. We say goodbye to Simba and we say hello to Elsa. Um, don't look out there to find your sense of self or self-worth. Look in here. That's where your true uh, self can be found. Brings us to right, the second way, right? looking in. Has there, who's seen Frozen? Most, if not all. All right. Even you guys have seen it. I've watched it a couple of times now, mostly to prepare for this sermon. But I did see it once uh, before, and I liked it. It's a good movie. The music's really good. Um, well, Elsa in that movie, uh, she's in many ways is really the anti-type uh, to Simba. And she's like like Simba. She's born into royalty, but it's really after that that they these two characters really diverge. Both are born into a community that has certain roles and expectations of them. Simba finds himself as he fulfills his responsibilities to his community, but Elsa, interestingly enough, discovers herself as she breaks free from that community. And symbolically, it is actually at her coronation, the day when she is going to be crowned and to, in some ways take responsibility for her people, that she breaks um, that she breaks out and in some ways casts that off and she breaks away from her community and she establishes her own kingdom right uh, according to the Lion King narrative you find yourself as you look out and you find your place in society and you live accordingly but according to the frozen narrative you find yourself as you cut those ties you look inside and you express yourself freely and fully, right? In, in so many ways, this is identity formation in the modern era. Cutting ties, looking inside, expressing yourself freely and fully. Um, here, we've got another clip. I want to throw it up. I think you caught it, right? Um, she's on this mountainside. She's singing, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, right? Uh, she is not shackled by her, like the constraints of her community. She is broken free from them. She's not going to look out to find her sense of self and self-worth. She's very much going to delve inside and find whatever is in there she's going to give full expression to. 
right? And in some ways, uh, ask for affirmation on the outside. Uh, our culture, um, writes Keller, does not believe we learn or become who we are by sublimating our individual needs for those of the community or family. Rather, each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if our identity is to be realized. The cultural message is don't try to get affirmation from others. Affirm yourself because you are doing what you want to do. Be who you want to be. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. That is the heart of modern Western expressive individualism. End quote. Okay, in other words, do not look out. Look in. That's where you will find yourself. What does it mean for us, right, like to look in and construct an identity based on what we find there? Like practically speaking, what does this actually look like? Well, it would mean that we would base our identity around certain desires or certain uh, impulses. I am who I feel that I am, or I am who I want to have sex with. You could base an identity uh, on certain tastes or preferences, the things that you like and dislike. If you go onto your Facebook page and you look at the, uh, the About page, okay, Facebook being like the place par excellence where you get to create your identity, right? And tell the world who you are, right? So much of that space is really devoted there's very little space, like, hey, this is where I'm from, you know, like one line, which in some ways shows you, look, the, the old way is out, the new way is in, right? Uh, what is, takes up most of the space but your tastes and preferences? Hey, who I am, I like these movies, I like this music, I read these books, I support these clubs, right? This is who I am. I'm, I'm all of these likes and dislikes and tastes, preferences, looking in expressing it out, right? Looking in and for your identity also means pinning or pegging your identity on certain gift sets or skills or talents. Kind of like Elsa, right? Who is she? Well, she's somebody who can make things, like she can make it snow and turn things to ice. Um, in another Disney movie, right? Uh, Buzz Lightyear. Uh, who is he? Well, he's the space ranger who can fly and who has a laser and you know, can do all of these amazing things. The problem is, look, the problem with the old way is, you know, it's fixed and it's stable, but it's restrictive. The problem with this is that your desires change. Your impulses change. Your tastes and your preferences change. And metaphorically speaking, your batteries die. You slow down, right? You, you can't always do what you are good at. And, and with that being, who is that true self? If, if all of your desires and your impulses and your tastes and your abilities are constantly changing, who are you? And maybe that's the thing that you're thinking. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> Again, I'm trying to figure that out, right? Much has been written about the ballerinas who you know, they're like 20. They've got to hang up their shoes. They can't do ballet anymore. And they, they have an identity crisis. Like, who am I after ballet? 
who's Tom Brady going to be after Super Bowl 51 when he stops playing football? Like, does he have an identity that is not tied to him just being the quarterback of the greatest football team in the nation? <laughs> you can probably dispute that. Not, I know the Pats are not the most loved team. But, yeah. Josh, are you shaking your head? <laughs> um, but you understand what I'm saying here, hopefully, right? Finding your identity out there is fixed but restrictive. But finding it in here, it feels liberating, but it's incredibly unstable. It's incredibly unstable. And maybe you feel the anxiety that comes with that. Is there a better place to turn? To find yourself? And to find your sense of worth? Well, I want to suggest to you that there is. It's not by looking out. It's not by looking in. Rather, it's by looking up or looking on. Okay. In the movie Toy Story, and I'm, make, I'm making my rounds through the Disney film this week, right? but in the movie Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear, uh, like so many of us, bases his identity on what he's capable of. You know, for you, perhaps, it's like, well, I am, um, I'm the National Honor Society. I'm a super smart student. I'm the top of my class. I'm great at uh, soccer. I'm great at basketball. Or I'm great at music. Or I'm great at art. You know, whatever it is, right, you are looking in and finding something that is good there, and you're basing your identity around it. Buzz Lightyear did the same thing. Right? Who is he? He's a space ranger, and that makes him special. Right? But before long, reality sinks in, and he realizes, I'm not as special as I thought I was. Right? I'm a toy. I'm a toy that can't really fly. Even though I thought I could, I can't. And that thing that I thought was a laser is actually just a blinking light. It's not that special. His world is rocked at that moment, and he is really pushed to the brink of despair. And again, maybe that's kind of how maybe that's how some of you feel. I'm not as special as I thought I was. Right? I was looking for my identity out there, but now I'm all this highs and sever. I'm looking in, and I'm just like, what gives? Let's play this last clip. first time I am thinking clearly. You were right all along. I'm not a space ranger. I'm just a toy, a stupid little insignificant toy. Whoa, hey, wait a minute. Being a toy is a lot better than being a, a space ranger. Yeah, right. No, it is. Look, over in that house is a kid who thinks you are the greatest, and it's not because you're a space ranger, pal. It's because you're a toy. You are his toy. But why would Andy want why would Andy want you? Look at you! You're a Buzz Lightyear! Any other toy would give up his moving parts just to be you! You've got wings! You glow in the dark! You talk! Your helmet does that, that, that whoosh thing! You are a cool toy! As a matter of fact, you're too cool. I mean... I mean, what chance does a toy like me have against a Buzz Lightyear action figure? All I can do is 
Why would Andy ever want to play with me? He's got you. I'm the one that should be strapped to that rock. Bones. That's the moment that changed his life. It really is. Like, he is forever different after that. Like, if you were to watch, keep watching and it's, we're tempted to do so, it's an amazing movie. Like, he becomes very courageous and he does some amazing things. But that moment, right there, not when he looked out, not when he looked in, but when he looked on and he saw the name that was written on him, that he finally understood who he really was. He understands, he understood that moment, his true sense of worth. Buzz doesn't look out. He doesn't look in. He looks on. He's reminded of something. He's a toy, but he's not just any toy. He's Andy's toy. Andy, who loves him, has written his name on the sole of his shoe. Andy, who loves him, has put his name on him. Who is Buzz? He's Andy's toy. That's who he is, and that is what makes him special. Andy has put his name on him. He belongs to Andy. Friends, similarly, the Bible says that God has put his name on you. It says this in the very beginning, page one. God has put his name on you, as it were, when he made you in his image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Because you are made in the image of God. He has put his name on you. And what's more, the Bible says that God has written your name on the palm of his hands. He's put his name on you, and your name is on the palm of his hands. He sees it every day. And those are hands that are pierced not to save you. What does this mean? What does it mean that God has put his name on us? Well, it means that he, we are his and he is ours. I am his and he is mine. And this is our true identity. This is our true self. This is our true sense of worth. College. Looking at this. Okay. College was a tremendous, was a time of tremendous pressure for Daniel and his friends. You realize, like, Daniel is a youth when he's taken from from Jerusalem, right, from Judah, and brought to Babylon. And he's enrolled in classes for three years, right? He's a college student at Babylon U for three years to learn the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, to become, in some ways, Babylonian, right? And at the end of three years, he takes a final exam. You want to talk about pressure, right? That's pressure, right? You either pass or you fail, This Daniel's time in college was a time of tremendous pressure. When he went to college, his identity was challenged. 
His identity was kicked up in the air. He had been torn from his home. All of those things that he might have turned to for his identity were gone. No longer could he say, this is where I live. This is the school I went to. This is the family I come from. This is the friends that I keep. All of it gone. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. We don't care. Right? And he's brought to uh, this new place where his identity is uh, rocked and it's in the balance. Not only was he... Was it hard for him to look out? It was hard for him to, to look in. Um, I know for some of you, when you look in, uh, your inclination uh, is to root your identity, your primary identity on your sexuality right, or your gender. Um, you are looking in and you are basing your identity on that. And I know for many of you, this whole topic of sex and gender is very confusing, and it's also very sensitive. I think it's important for you to know that it was for Daniel, too. It was for him, too. When Daniel went to college, they didn't just put him in classes. They castrated him. They made him a eunuch. And they were very intentional. Why? So you, you are in. You belong to us. And your seed dies with you. You have nothing to live for anymore, but for us. It was a power play, right? Daniel, when he looked in, was like, "What am I? Am I a man? Am I a woman? What?" I don't know how this affected Daniel's. Life. I don't know how this really affected his sense of self or self-worth. Maybe it confused him, or maybe rather it crystallized something for him. That who he was before college, who he was in college, and who he was after college was always more than his gender or sexuality. Who he was, who Daniel was, was always bigger than that and more significant than that. So they could take that away from him, and it wouldn't define him. But that's not all. The Babylonians also went after the name that was put on him. They stripped them of their names and they gave them new ones. And essentially what they were trying to do was to smudge that name, right? If you think about Andy written on Buzz's shoe, they were trying to smudge that name off and write a new name on it. You don't belong to God. You belong to us. Listen, Daniel's name the name means God is my judge, was given the name Belteshazzar, which means Baal, right? A Babylonian god. Baal, protect the king. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious, is given the name Shadrach. I'm under the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael, his name means who is God, is given the name Meshach, who is like Aku. And Azariah, which, whose name means Yahweh is a helper, is given the name Abednego, servant of the god Nebu. All of them were given names that connected them to Yahweh, that connected them to the Hebrew God. And as soon as they get to Babylon, they are, those names are stripped from them, and they're given all of these names. You are Belteshazzar, you are Shadrach, you are Meshach, you are Abednego. And these names were meant to make them forget whose they were and who they were, And as they heard their name called day after day, 
there was an additional temptation for them to yield to the pressure to conform, to become thoroughly Babylonian, to lose their distinctiveness, to lose their saltiness, right, to cease to be salt and light. Well, when you come to UVM, they're not giving you a new name like that. They're not saying like, hey, everybody call Ali Veronica, right, or everybody call Eber Bob. They don't do that. That's not part of your orientation, right? But that said, there is a fight that happens here for your identity. And those attacks for your identity can be subtle or not so subtle. You could be made to feel ashamed for being uh, a Christian, for identifying yourself as someone belonging to God. They can encourage you uh, to look in and not to look on and to find your sense, your primary identity based on something that you find in there. There's lots of ways that this happens. But here's the thing. Try as they might, the Babylonians could not take away Daniel's and his friends' true identity. Even though they gave them new names, these group of men never forgot who they really were. They never forgot whose they really were. And here's how we know this. This is awesome. You read through the book of Daniel, and you realize that that name Daniel and Belteshazzar are used interchangeably. He's not just Belteshazzar from that point on, but we're reminded, no, he's Daniel. This is still Daniel, right? Many people who have read that and noticed that have come to this conclusion. The reason why Daniel never forgot who he was is because he had a community. He had a group of friends, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, who were there to remind him, I know they're called Belteshazzar, but you're Daniel. I know who you are. Your real name is Daniel. God's name is written on you. God is my judge. You are his. He is yours. And they could remind each other of that. What does this mean for you all? It means that if you are going to find and to keep your true identity at college, you're going to need friends. Friends like Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. Friends who know your true name and who can remind you of it. And hopefully you'll find some of those friends here at RUF. Men and women who, when the world assails you and tries to make you forget who you are and whose you are, can speak truth into your life. Yes, I know you can look out there and, and find your identity there. Yes, I know you can attempt to find it in here. But my sweet, sweet friend, look on. It says, as it were, right here that you are Andy's toy. And it says right here in the Bible that you are a beloved child of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. Let's pray.